Welcome to another episode of the New Vision Podcast, a really special episode. This is going to be a three-part conversation with Senior Manager of Business Intelligence and Marketing at the UVI RT Park in the USVI, Sydney Paul. Really excited to get into it. We're going to be talking tech, sustainable development, entrepreneurship, building black generational wealth. Um, it's going to be quite an interesting and diverse discussion. Let's get into it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's my pleasure today to be speaking with Sydney Paul. She was born and raised on the island of St. Croix, and she would have studied overseas in Chicago. Sydney is the Senior Manager of Business Intelligence and Marketing at the University of the Virgin Islands Research and Technology Park, where she takes the lead on community engagement and advocacy efforts for building local entrepreneurship and innovation through technology. She's also a multimedia producer and an advocate for culture-driven innovation and sustainability within the Caribbean. And uh, on the sustainable aspect and innovation and technology, we're definitely going to be getting into that today. So really a pleasure to have you on the, the podcast. Sydney, how, how, how are you keeping? I am doing well. I'm really glad to be on the podcast with you. I'm a really big fan and um you know, a lot of the stuff that you guys talk about on here is things that are really important to me. So I'm really, really excited to, to have a conversation today. Well, that's really m- much appreciated on, on my side, for sure, um, to, to hear those um, that feedback. Um, I, I want to start off with, we would have been speaking off here about um, some of the major challenges faced by the USVI um, over the past, what is it now? I think it's the past 12 months. Um, at least in Barbados, March was when it really directly impacted us big time. Um, but what have been some of the, the major challenges you've seen on the island since the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, um, so many. And a lot of them are really challenges that were have been exacerbated by, by the pandemic. So, you know, from 2017, we had two Category 5 hurricanes um, Irma and Maria that passed through the VI, one on St. Thomas and St. John, which was Irma, and then um, Maria hit St. Croix really bad two weeks later. So even through last year, um, we were still in recovery mode. We're still in recovery mode. So um, the pandemic really just kind of, you know, put that on steroids, if that makes any sense. And one of the big issues, of course, is our economy, which was still rebounding from the storms. You know, just like many other Caribbean islands, our biggest economic driver um, has been tourism. Um, another one is also oil refining, which is mostly based on St. Croix. A lot of the tourism economy is based on St. Thomas and St. John. Um, but because of the pandemic, you know, we were just sort of getting back to normal levels in terms of cruise ships coming in, um, flight passengers coming in and staying, and then the pandemic hit. Um, you know, St. Thomas is one, if not, I think, the number one um, cruise destination in the Caribbean. Um, number one or number two. So that's, be- that that's because that's largely because of the, how close it is to the USA. 
Yes, exactly. So a lot of our um, a lot of our passengers are from the U.S. We also get a lot of passengers from not on the cruise ship per se, but um, flight passengers from Denmark. So if, if, for those who know the history of the Virgin Islands, um, the U.S. Virgin Islands, prior to us being a U.S. Um, colony or territory, I like to say colony, but that's a whole other story. Um, uh, we were owned by we were owned by Denmark and called the Danish West Indies. So a lot of our culture and history, a lot of our traditions, our food, um, you know, family names are Danish names, and that is why we still get a big um, tourist from uh, Denmark mm. coming in from Denmark, right? But um, in terms of the cruise ships, a huge hit. The St. Thomas economy basically lives off of cruise ship passengers, um, which is, you know, sometimes there are two big ports in St. Thomas. Um, two. Each port mm. can hold at least, you know, two to five really big cruise ships. You know, that's maybe 10, 20,000 people a day that are coming through St. Thomas every single day. Um, and all of that was put on halt last year because of the pandemic. So um, many small businesses, restaurants, retailers, had to close down. Tons of people went on to unemployment. Mm. And, you know, fortunately, because we are a part of the United States, we did, we were able to tap into a lot of the CARES Act funding from the federal government that provided unemployment insurance mm. and things like that. But um, we still haven't rebounded since then. You know, we're still in the pandemic um, and the economy is still struggling. There are a lot of Virgin Islanders who don't have jobs, who can't afford to pay rent. Um, and on top of that, when I mentioned the, the hurricanes, um, what happened with the hurricanes is one, it brought a lot of relief workers, a lot of recovery workers from the federal government mm -hmm. from uh, the United States to help. And what happened with that is housing, um, prices, oh, housing market skyrocketed. Mm. So, um, you know. Landlords were increasing prices because they knew that the those coming in to support the relief efforts could afford it. Um, but locals couldn't. On top of that, especially on St. Croix, um, like I mentioned, oil refining was one of the biggest, if not the biggest economic driver outside of tourism for some time. But in 2012, the refinery shut down for a lot of different reasons. And... Um, a couple of years later, a new company bought the refinery and has been re renovating it and rehabbing it to get it back online. So with what with that came a lot of um, refining refining workers from the states, particularly Texas, who um, are given subsidized housing or money to provide housing. So again, landlords took the opportunity to increase prices to get a lot of benefit out of that, but that hurts the locals who need to find housing, need to find you know, affordable rentals, affordable houses for purchase, um, that we have a housing crisis. We have an economic crisis here. Um, it's just a crisis. basically. And, you know, hmm. Yeah. And outside of that, you know, even before the pandemic, well, yeah, with the pandemic, I think those are the two big ones from the health standpoint. We've done, we've done okay. We had a couple spikes um and it fluctuates between islands right now um i think we're a little under 200 cases don't quote me on that but i think that's where we're around um but what happens with that is 
in terms of getting back to normal, um, we're seeing a lot of hesitancy with getting the vaccines um, and where's that? that are available. Um, you know, I think historically when I, when I look at, you know, at least U.S. history, which, you know, in, in, in the VI we're taught a lot of, um, people of color tend to be a little more uh, suspicious of uh, medicine and especially with vaccines, particularly because, you know, there's a whole, even before the, the, the pandemic, there's a, a whole wave or movement around anti-vaccinations and people who are, um, you know, suspicious of the things that are put in vaccines and they're, you know, like protecting their children and things like that. So there's a lot of that here. Um, we also have a culture that's very um, close to the earth, right? So we like using uh, natural herbs. Like mm. Yeah, you mm. know what I mean? Um, that's just part of our culture. So you have, there's a whole subset of people who, really rely more on that and believe in that. And that's fine. I, I am also one of those people. Um, but I also believe in vaccines. So there's, there's that mentality, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but what is um, kind of stopping people from getting on board with the vaccine. We actually have a big issue here with um, vaccine tourism. So we have a lot of people from the States coming in to get vaccines hmm. because they can't get them in the States or they're not allowed to, they're not in the right phase. And um, here, because we're a smaller population, it's more easier for you to get the vaccine. Is it, well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe listeners um, will completely disagree with me, but does it not say the pitiful state we're in, where, where that is something where you're actually generating or relying to generate economic activity on vaccine tourism? I know, I know beggars can't be choosers. And right now, most of our islands, maybe with the exception of Trinidad or in dreadful states economically, but it doesn't speak to me of, we're going to get on, get into it um, on tourism and, and, and so on later, but it doesn't really speak to me of a, of a dynamic, vibrant economy. If this is uh, what, what we have to rely on to basically barely um, muddle along. Um, I was going to ask um, um, something based on what you're, you're saying there then. Um, how how drastically has the, the the tourism economy declined um, off the, uh, off the back of obviously the the pandemic? I think um, I recall our prime minister in Barbados saying at least in the peak season, which is typically I think December mid December to April, that well around the Christmas time it had gone down ninety percent or so. But how how was how badly affected has been the tourism product in in the USVA? It's I mean it's re it's particularly, like I said, for the cruise ship and what we've seen two different things happen, right? So like I mentioned, you know, you're getting, I don't know, you're getting 15 to 20, let's say 15 to 20 cruise ships a week on St. Thomas. Um, St. Croix is different. We don't get many cruise ships um, during the season, but St. St. Thomas does. And imagine, imagine a restaurant or um, just a real a jeweler, a retailer, being able to see hundreds, hundreds of um, visitors come into their doors, eat, buy jewelry, buy you know souvenirs, and just one day all of that is gone. 
there, there hasn't been a cruise ship into any port in the USVI since, I don't know, last March or April, I think was when they shut them down. So that's, you know, millions, that's millions of people who were, who those, re, who those um, Virgin Islanders are used to greeting and welcoming and, and giving tours to um, all of those businesses had to kind of like reset and figure out how do we survive um, how do we change what our business can offer in a different way, maybe? Um, on the other side of that hand, we have seen a, I think, um, we've seen a, um, a pretty stable influx of um, flight air, airline passengers, um, particularly from the U.S. because um, the U.S. tourists, um, number one, because we're um, a U.S. territory, it's domestic, so there's no, you don't need a passport or anything like that to fly down. You're flying within the country, so there's not any of the restrictions that um, United States Americans have, you know, where they can't fly to other countries right now, for example. They can fly to the Caribbean. I mean, they can fly to the, they can fly to the Caribbean via the Virgin Islands, right? They can go on the beach and still do all of those things, get away from, you know, the stresses that the pandemic is putting on them um, on the mainland. So we're seeing a lot of airline passengers come down to sort of escape all of that at the same time. Um, you know, and that's a good thing. And a lot of the, the tourism industry has adapted to that. Um, I think in a safe way, I think a lot of the protocols and safety, you know, safety protocols that the government and the private sector themselves have put in place have worked really well. But um, it's we're still I don't think we're anywhere near and I don't have the right numbers, but we used to get millions of passengers a year and we're nowhere near that right now. And I know um, our governor has weekly press conferences where he talks about, you know, updates on the pandemic, what's been affected and things like that. Um, and they've talked about how that has really affected the bottom line in terms of um, just, you know, revenue into the territory. So, you know, we're still, we're still trying to figure out. And the only way, and the only, the only reason why we're doing okay is really because of the, the support that we've gotten from the federal government in, hmm. in the United yeah, States. Hmm. I think, yeah, it's, it's, um, what many people call a false economy. So we feel very safe right now, but if we're not putting in place a lot of, um, um, strategies, um, and, you know, like, um, being proactive about setting ourselves up for post pandemic, mm-hmm. we're going to be sort of blindsided by, you know, well, where did all of the money go? Because even after the pandemic, the, you know, like the rev up to getting back to those numbers is going to take a couple of months. It's going to take some time. I believe actually, you know, for work for at the RT park, um, for one of the projects we're doing, we're looking at hotels and mm-hmm. um, some experts in the industry said that that the hotel industry isn't going to really be back to normal until 2024. That's what I've seen so, as well. Yeah. So keeping so taking that into consideration, what are we doing now to make sure that we're ready, number one, for another pandemic? Are we using this as an opportunity to make our infrastructure more resilient um, are we using this as an opportunity to upskill or train, you know, locals to be prepared for 
whatever a new normal looks like, because it's not going to look like what it did before the pandemic for sure. Um, particularly in terms of like technology and stuff, are we making sure that the, that the local economy is ready to embrace a lot of the thing, a lot of the innovation that's coming out of the pandemic. Right. So um, in terms of tourism, you know, we have a, we, we're okay, but it's really because of the support that we're getting. And I'm hoping that as a territory, we're, making sure that we're ready for whatever tourism looks like after the pandemic, because it's definitely not going to look the same. Future-proofing the, the economy, basically, um, over, the overall exactly. economy, basically. Well, I think most of our Caribbean um, neighbors uh, could say the exact same. And, and that's my concern for, for Barbados, because um, I obviously live here, so I know more about um, the island, but that's my major concern about Barbados. Um, I, I want to get into speaking about you joining the, the UVA Research and Technology Park. Um, what would have inspired you to, to join join there after working um, with the in terms of on the government side of things? Mm-hmm. So um, the so I was working um, for my uncle, who is a senator in the legislature, when I first moved back home um, in 2014. And I worked for him for two terms. Unfortunately, he didn't um, win uh, another term. Um, He was kind of kicked out in the primary, the Democratic primary. And that was sort of the end of, you know, our our tenure there in the legislature. For now. So... um, yeah, so getting ready, you know, preparing myself for whatever was going to happen after um, we were closing out the term. And I knew that I wanted one, you know, one of the options that I was thinking about was um, starting my own business. Um, and at the time, looking at opportunities, I found a job opening at the RT Park and reached out to them Um you know, didn't hear back from, it was, it's such an interesting story. I didn't hear back from them for a while and then, um, found somebody's number who worked there or an email and reached out to them. And they were like, Oh, we're so sorry. We're going through a really big transition right now, but let's have a conversation. So I ended up speaking to who was at the time, the brand new executive director of the RT park. Um, they were going through a really big reset at the RT park at the time that I saw the job vacancy. So I spoke to him and I talked to him about how I was reading um, this book on the future of innovation. I just happened to be reading that book at the time um, um, by a man named, I think his name is Alex Ross. I wish I had my book near me, Um, but he was um, a policy advisor during the Obama administration on innovation and entrepreneurship and things like that. And I just sort of talked to him about how the book really inspired me to think about the Caribbean and how particularly in areas like um, sustainability and climate change and how technology is really infused in a lot of the work that's being done there. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I thought that the Caribbean as a whole, we could be a really powerful um, leader uh, in that space because we, we live here and we understand how everything works and we really should be the ones leading that change. And I want to, you know, I would love to be a part of something mm-hmm. um, that was trying to inspire um, West Indians to be 
more innovative about how we thought about things because we're a very traditional, I believe, um, as a, you know, Caribbean culture, we're very traditional and conservative in many ways. Um, and that's not a bad thing, but at the same time, you know, there are other places around the world that are really looking, even looking at their culture and figuring out ways to use their culture in an interesting way and apply it to innovation. Right. So I talked to them about that. I, you know, thought it was, you know, really interesting at the time. I didn't really have an understanding of what the RT park did, but through the conversations really realized what it was meant to do. Um, and I was, I talked to him about how the, my job in the government was very restrictive. Um, I'm not a big politics person. Um, and when I say politics, you know, I don't mean necessarily the policy work, um, but more just the the culture of politics and you know every every government most governments in um, encounter corruption and things like that that's everywhere and I um, felt a little bit of that type of the politics when I was working in the government I did not like it at all so I told them in my interview with them that I wanted a job that really encouraged and empowered their young um, their young employees. Um, gave us opportunities to provide suggestions and recommendations for solutions. I wanted a job that felt flexible and supportive. Um, and, you know, the RT Park really believed in the same things. And that's how I ended up there. It was really just reaching out to them because I saw a job vacancy and then having that conversation. And the job that I applied for, it, you know, has actually, you know, and proves that they are committed to what we talked about has evolved into something that fits what I enjoy doing um, in terms of research and community engagement and writing and, um, you know, just talking to the community about really interesting things. So that's how I ended up there. Um, I really, I, I, I really pushed, you know, my research skills because I have a background in journalism. That's what I went to grad school for and um, writing and storytelling. Um, and then I just had the same beliefs as them that, you know, the Caribbean, the Virgin Islands and the Caribbean can really be a leader for this part of the world in a lot of different areas. We have so much talent here. And that's that's what I that's what I you know, that's what I do there. That's what my job is really getting that across. And um, all, all your past experience and expertise, obviously, coming in very handy from the journalism side as well. Um, I want to ask, um, you, you've been there for going two and a half years now. Um, in terms of so far, both in your stint with the organization as well as, as overall history of the, the research and, and technology park, um, what, what would you say have been some of the big wins for the RT park so far? Oh, a lot. Um, the organization um, has changed significantly drastically over the course of its history and particularly when I joined right and that was another reason why I decided to join um the the RT park was founded through legislation local legislation in 2002 um and the the purpose of the RT park is is a, it's an economic development organization so we do business attraction particularly in the technology sector. So we're trying to build a tech hub here. And the work that we do is really trying to bring tech companies, whether they be more established companies or um, startups, 
to the territory to establish their businesses and help build that and the incentives through that. We have like tax incentives, but um, that was traditionally what it did. So it didn't get its first client until like 2006 and then slowly Mm -hmm. got clients over, you know, the next 10 years. And then um, in 2018, when I joined that same year, like I mentioned, um, the RT Park got a new executive director. And at that time, there was no real um, team. There were there were no employees. Um, there were a couple contractors, I believe. And this is this is all information that I gathered since I've been working there. Prior to working there, I didn't really have an idea of what the RT Park did because it was very quiet. Um, you know, you didn't really see them out in the community. Um, no one no one really understood what the purpose of it was. Um, and that was another reason why I joined because I liked the challenge of really reintroducing and rebranding what the organization was. So um, that the, the first big win was really building a new team. So I was a part of that new team. Um, my 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 boss Peter Chapman mm-hmm. um, started from literally from scratch. I think I was one of the first three employees that he hired. Um, since then, we have about twelve. Um, full-time and contracted um, team members at the RT Park. And and really that was a big win because before then um, it was, it, it wasn't a really proactive organization per se. It was really just laid back and letting references come and people who maybe found it online somewhere and asking questions and locals who knew about the program and understood it would, you know, talk to people that they knew. But now with a more robust team, we're able to be really aggressive about the work that we're doing, reaching out to different organizations, reaching out within our network. Um, on my side, on the marketing side, doing the the proper storytelling and rebranding of the RT Park. That was really the big win was really getting local and 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 to and also to add local talent. Um to 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 the team another big win that comes out of having such a robust team was building programs so like i mentioned before there's a tax incentive program that really most people understood the rt park to offer Mm -hmm. but it was supposed to be much more than that we're supposed to have programming that supports workforce development in the tech space we're supposed to have programs that support entrepreneurship um where we were also supposed to be doing work in sustainable agriculture and sustainable develop and development and none of that stuff was being done before so our team really looked at you know looked at what the mission of the RT park was supposed to be and just started implementing all of those things so now we have an entrepreneurship program through our accelerator our tech accelerator called accelerate vi we're getting ready to launch a workforce development program called the Virgin Islands STEM Talent Archive, which is what, that's my baby. That's the one that I'm working on. <laughs> um, or Vista Plus. It's also called Vista Plus. That basically is going to be able to connect Virgin Islanders throughout the diaspora, anywhere around the world, with opportunities in technology and STEM um, in the territory. Because the big goal for us is to bring as many Virgin Islanders, um, all of that Virgin Islands talent back home, but they, what the issue was is that we have a lot of tech companies. Right now, we have 60 companies in, um, in, the, in the RT Park community. 60. Mm. 60, yes. Um, and a lot of them would come, would message us or, you know, come talk to us and say, hey, I have this job vacancy, but I'm having a hard time finding somebody, um, mm. 
yeah, somebody local. And what would happen is a lot of them would end up, you know, hiring from abroad and bringing them here. And that's that number one can be very expensive. Two, it can be a little unstable because, you know, you have to have the right uh, personality and mindset to, to, you know, live in the Caribbean. It's like a different, especially for people from the States, it's a little slower pace. You have to be ready to have that lifestyle. So some people aren't ready for that. And those companies would end up having a lot of turnaround in their businesses. Um, so they would ask us for help um, to find people. And then the on the other side, me, you know, being... Um, Within my generation, a lot of my peers who just graduated from grad school or undergrad um, or what have you uh, want to move back home. And they're kind of like they're away, um, mostly in the States, and they're looking and saying, man, it would be really great to come back home. I work in software development or I do coding or I do engineering, um, but I don't really see any jobs for me at home. So for some reason, those two groups weren't really talking to one another or knew that they even existed. So that's why we created Vista Plus. So it's a pla- basically a job search platform, and it's dedicated specifically to Virgin Island talent mm-hmm. um, and connecting them with the companies at home. And then um, on top of that, we have, you know, inter- also with our workforce development, we created a coding program for, for kids um, that we launched last year. What age is that from? Sorry. What age is that? Is that from? It's 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 mostly middle school and up, um, particularly in the middle school group. So anybody from, um, you know, ten between ten and fourteen, let's say that's the age group that it works with. But um, through a really big, generous donation from a local Virgin Islander who works in the tech space, um, she's currently working at Microsoft right now. We were able to donate lap. Um, Chromebooks to all of the students, which was really helpful because we were in the middle of the pandemic and most students were working from home or doing their schoolwork from home virtually. They could be that work- program was also virtual. They could be working too. There, there are some fourteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old millionaires um, around the world, um, so they could have been working and, as well. And that's that's the idea, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, part of that was us letting, you know, exposing them to how they can, you know, learn to code at home. They don't necessarily have to learn it through school. They could be a tinkerer. They can go online and just play around. Um, But understanding that the opportunity is there for them to look into, they could build a business at 14, just like you said, that can be really successful. I've seen a lot of those around. Um, and, And that is a lot of what, you know, our new programming, which is our really big win right now, um, has done. It's really exposing Virgin Islanders to technology as a way of building success, building wealth, um, being, you know, their own, um, uh, being a business owner. And, and, you know, when I, when I talked earlier about, you know, what has been challenges in our economy and I did it, what I didn't mention is that our economy is very, very, um, Small, And what I mean by that is that there are not a lot of industries. There's not a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. So like I said, the big one is tourism. Then there's um, the oil refining sector. There's also um, another economic driver. It's a little smaller, but we have a lot of rum production on the island. We have two rum companies. Mm. Um, but then also a big employer on the island is the government. I truly believe that that is a problem. Um, and... It sounds a little conservative when you think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really advocating for small government. But in the sense that, you know, um, 
right now, for instance, the the local government is going through a really big issue with its pension system. A lot of people won't be able to survive after they leave if they decide to leave the government, you know, or retire, um, because they might not have a pension to rely on if it goes insolvent. Um, on top of what's make, and on top of that, because people um, are fearful of their economic future or financial future, rather, um, they're continuing to work really long. And you have a lot of older people who should be retiring and um, enjoying their lives still working, which is, again, not allowing newer talent to come into the system, right? So well, we really, a lot of people rely on the government as um, for their financial stability. And I don't think that that should be the case um, because if the government is on, when the government is unstable, then the economy becomes unstable because most people work in the government. Right. So our programs are really trying to encourage people to become entrepreneurs and create businesses to, 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 to make the private sector bigger and make it more diverse. We can't rely if, if during the pandemic, like because of the pandemic, because of hurricanes and natural disasters, when the tourism sector goes down Everything is affected. Um, government is affected because of the pandemic, because we're not as technologically, um, um, you know, efficient. We're not using technology in a way to make us more efficient. Um, and I feel like if more people were had their own businesses and had businesses that were more resilient, which can become more resilient if you if you use technology and innovation in the right way, then that makes the economy stronger. So that's what we're trying to encourage mm-hmm. through the RT part is diversifying the economy. The way that we think you can do that is through technology and innovation. And that, and you can, you can access that um, really easily. You don't have to go to school if you don't want to. You can, you can learn at home. It's just a more flexible and sustainable uh, industry that we want to sort of um, bring into the economy. As mentioned earlier in the podcast, this is the first of three episodes in our conversation with Senior Manager Business Intelligence and Marketing of the UVI RT Park, Sydney Paul. Stay tuned tomorrow for the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the New Vision Podcast. Of course, you can download any episode from your favorite platform including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many of your other favorite platforms. We really appreciate if you could leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, Obviously, this really helps with the algorithm. And we would also appreciate if you have any feedback or commentary and you would like to even ask us a question as well. You can leave that through the Anchor voice messages feature. Alternatively, if you don't have Anchor, can get in touch with us on Instagram or on Twitter. Until next time.